Do you wish you could get virtual attendees to turn their cameras on? Is engagement the number one issue on your virtual meetings? Do you want your meeting to be the most engaging virtual meeting? Well, welcome to the Engaging Virtual Meetings podcast. In this podcast, we'll talk to the top people around the world in virtual meetings and give you, the listener, the best ideas to host engaging virtual meetings. Make sure that you click subscribe so you can get the latest episode of the Engaging Virtual Meetings podcast. Now, let's welcome your host, the author of the number one Amazon hot new release, Engaging Virtual Meetings, John Chen. I'm excited to bring to you, she was the previous um, head of meetings innovation at MPI. We've shared the stage in a couple places together. Uh, I'd love to bring to the stage the one, the only, Lori Pew Pew Markham. Hey, Lori, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me this morning. I know, uh, you know, this is where so actually I saw your post and I go, this is actually where social media is actually useful, where we get to see, you know, things that are happening with our friends. And, you know, if I didn't have social media, I'm not <clears throat> I'm not sure if I would have heard about this. But um, Laurie, for my friends who don't know you, can you tell me uh, who you are and what you previously did? So then we'll, and we'll talk about your other thing in just a second. Absolutely. So I worked at Meeting Professionals International as head of meeting innovation, which essentially means in charge of the content and speakers for all of our digital, hybrid, and in-person events, and as well as teaching some of our courses and uh, moderating as well. Yeah, and I've seen your moderate. I think that's really fun. Um, what's one of the coolest things that you did during your time with MPI? Oh, I love Global Meetings Industry Day broadcast. That was by far my favorite. I got to be anchor and producer for three years, and it was just an awesome experience being able to bring the community globally together to celebrate. And it, what, is it 24 hours? How many hours do they broadcast on that? Oh, it's 12 hours, although Jessie likes to joke she wants to go 24 hours, but... It's too much. <laughs> Twelve hours online is a lot. I think you 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 know over the three years, I'm sure you you've made some muscle about staying on for twelve hours. Actually, that would be a good uh, good segue to that. Uh, what do you personally do to kind of get ready, you know, uh, and get through that day? Because twelve hours of, of producing is is a lot. You know, you're just running on adrenaline and it's all about having a good team with you. Uh, in 2020, I had to produce from my office where I am now and didn't have the team with me in person. But just this past year, I got to be at Grit Studios and it was incredible. And our team was just excited. And we see so many chat messages coming through that it just gives you the energy that you need to keep pushing forward. Yeah, so you run on, on pure energy and, and kind of can you just like estimate how much time and rehearsal goes into those 12 hours before you go online? Wow. You know, just from sourcing the speakers and then rehearsals and then the on-site activation, I would venture to say 500 hours. Oh, geez. From production to sourcing speakers. I mean, it's a, it's a solid full-time job for three months, for sure. That's what I think. I don't people understand, right? How much work goes into like the perfect hour of content. And now, you know, it's something like a factor of, you know, 10 to 50, uh, depend upon what you're looking for. So that's so great. Now you made a recent change. So can you talk a little bit about your new company and uh, your title? 
Yes. So I will be starting on May 17th. So it's very new, but I'll be the events content director for the Path to Purchase Institute and Retail Leader, which is essentially under the umbrella of a company called Ensemble IQ. And Ensemble IQ in general, is it like an AI? I didn't look it up yet. I have so there's um, a lot of different elements, but essentially it's all around how uh, people come to learn how to get consumers to buy their products. So there's different publications, there's different divisions, uh, but, you know, could be companies such as Kraft or it could be retailers like Walmart. And so my part of the of the role with that company is events content related to the Path to Purchase Institute, a lot like how MPI Academy is a part of MPI. So it's just that educational component of it. Oh, interesting. All right. So as always, uh, always uh, uh, I'm interested in is what help you tilt the factor to make the jump? Because, you know, that's some significant um, uh, entropy or energy around staying in your current job. Of course, it's easier. Like I, I know what's going on, or right? so things like that. So there's always usually something, right? That 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 you're looking for. I'm just kind of curious what what this job had that you were looking for. So you know, I was always keeping my eye open for opportunities. I wasn't necessarily looking to make a jump, but always seeing what was out there. And so when I read about this job description, I thought this will give me an opportunity to use what my bachelor's degree was in, which is in advertising. And then oh. my master's degree is in meeting and event management. So it's the molding of both worlds. Yeah. Where, where's your love of advertising? I didn't know you had a degree in advertising. That's great. Yeah. So I, when I graduated, I did work for an agency for a few years and events were a part of that experiential marketing and advertising and then decided to move into events full time, but definitely was interested in, in, you know, advertising and why make people make the decisions they do, the creative side of it. And, you know, I found myself, I've been at MPI for almost seven years and while I completely love the organization, they can't get rid of me that easy. I'm staying a member. I am active in the North Florida chapter. And so I'm definitely still bleed and drink the Kool-Aid of MPI. But for, for me, you know, the organization isn't that large. And so, you know, it's time for me to look about what skills am I going to need to acquire if I want to move up to a VP or C-suite later. Uh, and so for me, this opportunity was uh, being able to use the muscle of advertising and marketing, which will really suit me and wherever I end up uh, going as a VP or, or higher than that. So it's just really strategic and uh, melding the both worlds that I've loved so much. Well, let me let me ask this. Why are meetings such a powerful element of, of advertising? I'm just curious on your personal viewpoint. It's the number one place to build loyalty and a connection to whatever brand or product because we're there, we're, we're seeing it, we're touching it, we're feeling it. And even if it's not tangible, you're at an event, you're creating emotion around what the brand is wanting to emulate. So it just really cuts down all those different touch points that sometimes you have to build up if you don't have events as a part of your marketing and advertising. Hmm. What, what brand besides MPI? Okay, so you, you already know the MPI, MPI. We already know that MPI kind of likes events, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> What's another brand that you really respect of the way that they do events? Oh, man, that's a difficult one. Um, 
you know, I have to say, actually, Revlon does incredible events, and most of the public actually doesn't get to go to those, but it's, I have a friend who works there, and they have these events for, uh, you know, those who are in that industry, and what they do is phenomenal. I was really jealous. I'm like, how do I get to go to these insider Revlon brand events, even though I'm not in the business? So they do a great job. Can, can you describe one or two of the elements without having to, to kill me? <laughs> It's just um, a lot of it is where you get to, to try things, try on, learn the newest techniques, mm. what are the you know, colors for the fall. And a lot of it is just the personalities they choose to represent the brands as MCs or to do the demos. And they create a sense of camaraderie and community. I think that that's one of the biggest things is community for any brand. Okay. Okay. Now I'm interested too, because I'm starting to build like a community around this thing, engaging virtual meetings. So excited. I got a Facebook group that uh, just became a thousand strong and uh, we're, we're have a planning committee of uh, some, some people I think that, that, you know, too, and we're really talking about community. So uh, I'd love to dive into that. What are like two or three things that you think a community must have to be successful? Well, it has to be inclusive, okay? And that word means a lot of different things. It could be as simple as we've all been to an event before where everyone knows each other, but you don't know them and you feel like an outsider. So it's a welcoming environment where all different ideas and topics can be shared with the, even if other people disagree with you, it's like that yes and. You feel it's it's not that your ideas aren't wrong, even if they may be different than the norm. Um, and it's a, a collaboration tool. So when you have an idea and ask, you know, also when you ask for help, I think that is, oh, is yeah. huge. It's that idea sharing and the vulnerability of asking for help for things that yeah. really bonds people. Well, I love that. Um, Kendall Cox, speaking of, of people in our community, Kendall Cox has become a really strong member. Uh, and she's doing uh, too, um, she works for a nonprofit for Living Waters. And, and so they're, they're helping bring clean water to third world countries. She said, meetings are a touch point. Uh, so true with that. And um, I, I like what you said around, you know, what I guess it's that, that loyalty or oh, that asking for help. I know my group, I felt like turned a corner. You know, in sales, when you turn a corner, which is um, like as small businesses, you spend your first three years, right? Calling everybody going, will you just please buy my stuff, right? And then somewhere around three years, if you're successful, something turns and then people start calling you saying, hey, I need your help, right? Or I need you to come, you know, to this thing. Um, and I, the community just did that so that I'm watching the group and now, you know, when you're first in a group, you have to seed everything, right? Like here's, I'm going to start doing all the posting and asking all the questions. And now I'm excited because now people in the community are deciding to join in and ask community, you know, ask questions and things like that. So do you see a similar like um, flip point for that for communities? Absolutely. In fact, at MPI, that's really why they created all the different communities uh, MPIMD Association, Experiential Planner, uh, Women's Community. And it's really just to have a forum to, to ask those questions. Because if, if you think about it, for any large organization, you worry you're just a number. But when you have opportunities for communities that roll up into it, it's a little more personable. And, and you know, people are a little more likely to want to get involved versus, uh, you know, when you're one of, say, 20,000. Well, okay, so I'm going to go back to something you said here, and you said, I want to become a VP. So one of the greatest things I think, this is great, I think that um, in knowing you, and of course, if you're in anywhere in the strategic part of planning and so forth and so on, that 
Uh, this step is, of course, one step into something else that you have going on. So, how did how did you think about how do you think about your career path and and setting your goals and, of course, you know, deciding which steps to take to get there? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you also have to be open to change. Change is really hard for people, but I tell myself, you know, after a certain number of years with an organization, if you've topped out or you're not moving up. You need to think about what your trajectory is. And to be honest, not everybody wants to be a VP or to move up to C-suite. So you you have to figure out what you're most interested in. And for me, I really love strategy and I love, uh, you know, leadership and leading teams of people and surrounding people around a vision. So that is where I see myself wanting to go and helping to bring out the best in uh, whatever teams that you're working with. So that's really my my passion, which is why I want to move up to that VP level. It, it doesn't have anything to necessarily do with the title or the money. It's just the scope of strategy I really love. So, you know, one of the things, of course, we get older. <laughs> I know that's a challenging part, but one of the cool parts about getting older is that a lot of our friends are getting into these type of positions. Uh, you know, people are getting more and more, I guess, responsibility uh, and things like that. And, and uh, I actually had a friend that just gave me a book and says that uh, a lot of us individuals will do some of our best work in our either 60s and sometimes 70s now, uh, you know, because of the... Uh, the age age and things like that. So I don't know if you do you see it that way. And do you uh, see uh, people like us, you know, getting into these bigger positions? I do. And I am kind of on that cusp where you, you're starting to see people jump from the manager level up. Uh, and to be quite honest, when I got my master's degree in meeting and event management from San Diego State, you know, we had mentors that we're talking about people, Jeff Campbell, who was the CEO of Burger King and these huge companies that are giving back. I can guarantee you he's not doing it for the money. <laughs> it's <laughs> academia. Yeah. Because he's a lifelong learner and he wants to leave a legacy. And, you know, for me, that's essentially what it is, is about is how can I leave a legacy? How can I make it easier for people who come after me? And so that's really been my motivating goal. So, okay, so uh, going backwards and forwards, what are some of the things that you would like to leave in your legacy? Let's pretend like we get to that. We're, you know, we're having a live cast and we're retire You're doing your retirement party or something like that. What do you want to look back at and look and saying, you know, these are things that were important to me that I left as my legacy? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a 12-year-old daughter. So for me, one of the main things is is inclusivity of, of women at higher levels. And one actually a huge reason why I accepted the position at this uh, new company is that the majority of uh, that on the leadership team, including the C-suite is majority women. And that's, a, oh. that was very attractive to me. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I, some of the best mentors and allies that I have had in my career are men a hundred percent, but it's refreshing to see an equal balance or more at a higher level. So I just would like to uh, have an environment for my daughter to come into where she just feels like she's on a equal playing ground to get to wherever she'd like to be. And I also believe in, uh, I don't believe in leadership being from the top down. I don't believe that leadership should make decisions about job roles when there aren't including the people who actually do those jobs in the decision making. Yep. So, uh, you know, that kind of uh, hierarchy, I would like to, to a legacy of making people feel much more equal and sharing of ideas and decisions. 
So is that something, so I actually did, uh, if you didn't know this, 10 years of recruiting for Microsoft on the technical side. Yeah, and and uh, I'm curious if the, you know, I, I'm sure, I don't know if you learned that before you got there. The, what, what were some of the key factors in that interview process that helped you make this decision? So uh, let's see here. Oh, that's a good one. Well, I did a lot of research. <laughs> I did a lot of going onto LinkedIn, looking at, you know, reviews of the companies online. Uh, and so when I looked at the C-suite where it's, you know, meet the staff and I saw the number of women in the organization and at the different levels, that was intriguing. And it, those were questions that I asked uh, as a part of my interview process. And I also wanted to know what the average uh, uh, time that an employee had been in the company. Now they have uh, mergers of companies that came together to form it, but you know they were looking at seven, eight years of, of retention rate, which is extremely high for a company. Mm. Uh, and so I was very pleased with that. And just honestly, a lot of it was getting to know the people I've interviewed with quite a few people. And you know, here's the thing, you want to be careful because you don't want to get a job just because you get along with everyone. I believe that it's important that you hire not just because, oh, this person will fit in, because it does need to be a diversity of thought and a diversity of people. Um, but everyone I talked to that I interviewed with had very positive uh, things to say about the company. And when I asked them, asked them questions, there wasn't anything where they looked like, oh, we can't talk about that. It was very, an, an open dialogue and it wasn't stuffy. And so, um, you know, I was very pleased with what I saw. I mean, it's always a risk when you take a new job, but you know, you won't know unless you try. So you and you got to do your your at least your work along the way and being in the events industry if anything right whether or not you got a certification or not we're all become experts in body language right if your mouth is saying one thing and your body saying saying another thing you'll pick it up right uh, that's that's if anything is, is taught to you over 10 years of events is is i think you you know that part you can sense the authenticity and non-authenticity when it's when it's present exactly Hmm. All right. Uh, let me see what else is that. So it's so great. That, um, what's one piece that, that I know part of your legacy you said is like women in leadership. And, and again, uh, I appreciate too, you know, uh, like we're, we're talking like a, this is API Heritage Month, right? Okay. So, and, and I think a lot of talk is around allies now. And I, and I think that's really important to know that it's not, not all other people are bad. It's like there's actually a whole collection of people that are really trying to support that. Um, what do you what do you think is your part in terms of helping women in leadership? And I don't know if there's any either advice now that you're getting to this stage that like you might you've told yourself or other people you know ten or twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I actually just this past actually last week taught a women in leadership class for NPI. So I was one of the instructors, and uh, something that we always talk about is uh, you know especially in negotiation if you're asking about a job, you know you my rule of thumb is that if you get offered a certain amount of say if they haven't told you what your salary requirements are, you always ask for $5,000 more than what they offer. <laughs> and then you negotiate down. Uh, the, the other piece of it is, is you know, if there's something that you 100% don't know how to do about the job, that's okay. You can learn it. If there's a job you're interested in, go for it. You don't have to have 100% of everything that they have on that list just really having the confidence to in yourself to move forward is a huge one. And then also being open to difficult conversations. A lot of, a lot of women are known or have been taught to be non-confrontational, 
but they have to know that there's a way that you can facilitate conversations that's not confrontational, that comes across respectful to everyone. And so, uh, you know, just challenging themselves to learn more about how to have difficult conversations. Yeah, in one class a long time ago, we actually, you know, this is the power too of the experiential portion, right, of the marketing, which is, you know, being there or doing something. And uh, we were using rock climbing and I had this amazing woman, right? Uh, she was uh, slightly medically challenged. She was half deaf. She had a bad left knee. And we were actually using a rock climbing uh, wall as a metaphor in the class. And so she had a hard time during the part. Uh, but we got a chance to coach her and get her through that, right? And she actually reached the top of like a 30-foot wall, and she had never done that in her life. But, you know, it's not about that. Sometimes, you know, when we're teaching uh, other things, it's, um, you know, the ripple, right? That's the thing that comes back after you drop the rock, and you actually get to hear about it. So, like, three months later, she called me, and, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? All right, great to hear from you. And she goes, I got to tell you this story. And she said uh, she's a property manager, and that she got asked by another property place to, for her to go manage, right? And she goes, well, I'm not really looking for a job. I'm really happy, but I'll go check out the job. She goes to check out the job, and she's like, oh, well, this is nice, but I don't really want to move. So they asked her what her salary was, and she goes, you know what? I just made up a number because like, I, did, I didn't really need the job, right? I already was happy in my job. So I asked her something ridiculous, like three times the salary that she was currently getting, and she got it. See, you know, it's important that we don't start looking for jobs when we're miserable, right? Because then at that point, you're going to take anything they give you. If you're out there looking, I mean, we, we know it's supply, demand, how bad do you want it? If you're not necessarily unhappy, it's almost the best time to start looking so that you do have the confidence to say, you know what? You know, I've always heard you don't jump ship at a company for less than 10 grand. Double it. You might as well add to it, you know? Um, so I, I agree. You don't want to get to point where you're desperate to, to move on. And, and I have nothing bad to say about MPI. I, I oh. love it. I just knew yeah. it was time. It was time for me. That's interesting too. Uh, you know, I did a lot of work at Microsoft about people who were leaving and right. These are people at, at the time, right? The stock was at an all time high. Nobody was staying there for the money, right? It was, that's what I always found. It was around passions and interest, you know, over almost all of them, right? Were around passions and interest. And they were just in the thing that they were doing wasn't fitting right now. But at a company as big as Microsoft, like 99% of them, you get to stay because as long as they were still interested in software, you know, that's the right place. If you're interested in windsurfing, you're probably in the wrong company, right? You should probably leave anyways and do the, the company a favor. And so that's one of the things that I learned. And, and a lot of times, actually, the one thing I discovered that I haven't really shared uh, in a lot of places is that it's not about your satisfaction with your jobs. Uh, and, and, and again, this is, this is maybe not Lori's case. She was looking for something else. But at Microsoft at the time, a lot of times it was dissatisfaction because mm -hmm. the majority of people were moving because they were unhappy about something, right? Because a lot of people, like we said, it's easy to, to not move when they said there. So we actually built this model, the dissatisfaction, and, and uh, people give clues, you know, uh, when they said they were going to leave, they already think about leaving two weeks to six months is what we discovered at, at Microsoft. So anyways, that's some of the stuff that, that I learned around it. Um, and I think, though, choosing to move, you know, when you don't have to is the strongest point that you have. Because otherwise, yeah, you put yourself through a lot of other uh, steps. But of course, sometimes that's the only time that people want to do it. Uh, let me, let's close with this, which is... Thank you so much for sharing that. Is there any advice you want to give to people who are thinking about their career path? I know a lot of people uh, are in a lot of groups are still asking, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up and, and things like that. So with this experience, of course, in, in choosing your next job too, what can you share with people who are, are trying to answer that question, right? What should I do next? 
Well, there's a lot of, we, we know there are jobs that are starting to come back. I know a lot of people were furloughed and laid off. So, um, you know, there's more coming out there. You may choose to look at your transferable skills. So for example, I have friends who were on the sales side at large uh, hotels who have gone to work at retirement communities making over a hundred grand because still heads and beds, it's still events for the, the people there. So if you, and not to say, I love the meeting event industry, but if you're like, you know what, I want to try something else. Look at all of those transferable skills that you have. And if you go outside the meeting events industry for a few years, what can you learn outside of it that when and if you come back will aid you in moving up and, and your skill set? Yeah, that's what I tried to tell a lot of people too in, in that meetings industry is just saying, you have one key skill that a lot of people can't buy and that's hospitality. You, you, gotta, you can only train it and you can only learn it, right? Uh, and live it. And, and, uh, and so once you have that skill, that's the one, number one skill that you can take almost anywhere, right? Because in the end, it's around customer service and other pieces like that. So, Lori, thank you so much for your time. We really get a chance to appreciate you. Uh, and I wish you luck. We're, of course, always uh, tracing you and lots of our other friends as we go around. And, uh, and I look forward to hearing about your success. I look forward to doing this. You know what? Let, let me ask this commitment. If you, not, not if, right? Let me, let me make sure and change my language here. When you make VP, will you do one of these interviews with me so we can just do the follow-up? I definitely will. 100% commitment for me. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lori. Hey, my name is John Chen. I was just here with Lori Pugh Markham, who's just uh, got a new job at Assemble IQ. Make sure and watch her. Uh, oh, wait, hold on a second, Lori. Let me make sure and ask this last question before we come back. Uh, if somebody was interested in knowing a little bit more about you, where can they find you? Either on like either LinkedIn or Facebook? LinkedIn is the best place up to date. I always uh, post on there as well. So that's the best spot. And what's your tag on, uh, on uh, LinkedIn? It should just be Lori P. Markham, but I'll make sure to share that with you uh, as well. But definitely, there's not any other Lori P. Markhams out there. If there is, you let me know. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Lori. All right. Well, uh, I am John Chen. Well, let's see. Hold on a second. Let me get my opinion there. Hey, I'm John Chen. This is the Engaging Virtual Meeting Interview Series. I just want to thank uh, Lori P. Markham and, of course, congratulate her on her new position. Tune in here later and watch for more interviews for great people that are really passionate around engaging virtual meetings. We'll see you next time. This is John Chen, the author of the Amazon number one hot new release, Engaging Virtual Meetings. I personally want to say thank you for listening to the Engaging Virtual Meetings podcast. It is my passion to help you eliminate bad virtual meetings. Make sure that you click subscribe so that you can get the latest episode of the Engaging Virtual Meetings podcast with all of the latest ideas. Hey, I want to meet you. If you want to talk about a virtual meeting challenge, or if you want to be the next guest on the Engaging Virtual Meetings podcast, just go to engagingvirtualmeetings.com slash meet. That's E-N-G-A-G-I-N-G-V-I-R-T-U-A-L-M-E-E-T-I-N-G-S dot com slash meet, M-E-E-T, and find your best time to meet up. Thank you, and I look forward to engaging with you online.